Member Maker is brought to you by MemberSpace. MemberSpace makes it easy to run a membership business by plugging into your existing website so you can protect any page content you choose. Your members can also sign up and manage their account without ever leaving your site. Learn more and start a free trial at memberspace.com. Welcome to Member Maker, a podcast about how to build a sustainable membership business. I'm your host, Ward Sandler, the co-founder of MemberSpace. Today, I'll be chatting with Melissa Stevenson, founder of Four Wellness Co., about using pricing as a tool to attract higher quality members, why less is more when it comes to content marketing, and what she's learned from making her membership available across multiple platforms. Hey, Melissa. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Ward. Glad to be here. All right. So why don't you give everybody a little bit of background about your membership business and in your case, businesses? Yes. So I actually use MemberSpace in two different businesses that I run, a wellness company and a web design company. My wellness company is called Four Wellness Co. And it's an integrative nutrition, health coaching, and corporate consulting business that helps busy professionals bring more wellness into their daily lives. It's my passion project, and right now it's in more of a development phase, but I'm using member space to grow my audience and my list as I'm developing the company, which I can talk more about later. And then my web design company is called Five Design Co., and I really fell into that kind of accidentally. I have no formal training as a web designer, but over the years, I've built and maintained many websites for different purposes. Uh, I spent years as a wellness blogger. I also formerly worked as a marketing manager in healthcare. And then over the years, just taught myself how to code. And now I help other entrepreneurs build and maintain websites for their own businesses. Cool. So yeah, I can share how I've used membership programs in both my own business on the wellness company side, and then how I've helped set up membership businesses for my web design clients in their own businesses. In my wellness company, I have a membership program in which I host a wellness library for my audience. It's a free library of healthy living guides and resources for busy professionals who want to eat better, find new ways to stay active in their busy lifestyle, learn how to choose healthy products for their home, etc. without having to research each of those things independently. So the guides kind of bring it all together for them comprehensively. They're more detailed and more valuable than my publicly available blog posts, which is why they're in my membership protected library. And I'm using them as an opt-in gift to grow my audience and my list for the future products and services that will be offered through the wellness company. So in that case, the wellness library is free and it's used primarily as a tool to build my list for larger programs and services down the road. And then on the web design side, I've helped clients set it up for their current membership businesses. One example is that it's being used to protect the member portal for an educational group that offers video trainings and other resources for their members. I design on Squarespace, so I built out this entire portion of the website that's specifically for the members of this group. It looks and functions differently from the public side of the website. So once members sign up for a free trial that can then be extended into a paid membership, then they're in the back end of this member portal accessing the video trainings on that site. Cool. So for For Wellness, right now, like you said, it's still kind of in the development phase. 
for people to get those detailed guides, they do need to become a member, but it's a free membership, right? It doesn't cost anything. Right, right. Gotcha. Do you have any plans as far as when you think you might actually launch that? Yes. So it does take uh, much longer to set up health-related businesses than one might expect, but I am planning to launch both self-paced courses and start getting into corporate wellness consulting in 2020. For the course, do you have any idea on what, what you're going to be charging? Great question. So my current plan for the courses that I'm building out are to have sort of a tiered pricing scheme. So there would be more of an intro course, so to speak, that would be in a more accessible rate. And uh, this is a little kitschy, but because my businesses have numbers in their names, I've been enjoying using numbers in other aspects. So using numbers like $40 for more of an intro course versus 400 for more of a in-depth course. No, I think, I think, uh, you know, it's got a fun, right? It's like, okay, it's all part of the, the brand. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're using the word for, I guess, fine. I think that, yeah. that all works. All right. So 40 for an intro and then uh, 400 for the, for the more in-depth one, right? Mm-hmm. And then eventually down the road, I mean, for particularly with the health coaching side of things, 4,000 is even a possibility down the road, but kind of reining things in right now, <laughs> not aiming for that one quite yet. Yeah, but it's always there, right? Another four with more zeros. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And as far as the pricing, where did that did that come from anywhere? Like, what's that based on? Yeah, I have been part of a couple different entrepreneur groups along the way in building both of these businesses, and just kept my my eyes open about the cost of other programs, what people are mentioning with their own businesses, and what's successful. So, something that I have really connected with is. This idea that your programs need to be valued at a dollar amount that makes people think about whether they're going to use it or not. So if I sold a program for $4, which would be, uh, I guess, the first option that I would have if I'm going with the, the four scheme, $4 is a, an amount that people could get excited about purchasing a product and then it might be easier for them to forget about it and not come back to it and not get their money's worth out of that. And so I think that in whatever level of product you're developing, kind of finding that balance between what is an accessible dollar amount for your audience to be able to purchase your product at versus kind of on the other end of that spectrum, what's an amount that really makes them want to use it because they don't want to waste that money? Yeah, I think that's a uh a good way to think about it, right? Because money does drive behavior, right? If it's too low, you know, people don't really care. But if, yeah, like you said, I think think that's a smart move. Do you plan on potentially raising that price at some point or do you feel pretty comfortable with kind of sticking there for now? (laughs) You know, I took a training recently that told me that whatever you're planning to charge for your course is too low and that you should double it (laughs) because particularly for new course creators, we start off too low. We don't value our courses highly enough and that really most of us could stand to raise our prices rather than bring them down. So I would definitely be open to raising them. And after they're launched and been beta tested, really taking a good long look at what they're worth. And like I just mentioned, that kind of sweet spot between what feels accessible and comfortable to people, but also what really stretches them a little bit so that they're really feeling that they've invested in something. Yeah. And I think there's a caveat with, you know, as far as charge more, right? Because that's definitely common advice on the internet for various things, but charge more if the value's there is kind of the asterisk there. Because Mm -hmm. 
if you launch a course and you're hearing, you know, amazing feedback and you're changing people's lives, they're losing weight, et cetera, et cetera. You know, then, then it's like, okay, yeah, there, there's, there's proof here, right? I, I know that this is helping mm-hmm. people and that, and I know providing that level of help is worth more than $40 or more than 400. But, you know, let's say worst case scenario, you don't hear that. People say, oh, this doesn't really make sense or I didn't find it that helpful, whatever, whatever. Then in that case, the next move I'd argue is not to raise the price. The move is to figure out how to deliver more value. Before, and then in the, if you can get the correct kind of feedback from customers, then raise the price. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. So what have you done so far to kind of build up your audience? So the primary way that I have been building an audience is content marketing in both of my businesses, both the wellness company and the web design company. I publish regular blog posts on topics of interest for those audiences. And then most of my blog posts in some way promote a content upgrade, like one of the healthy living guides in my wellness library. And then I use Pinterest to market both those publicly accessible blog posts and the more comprehensive resources that are membership protected. And this has worked really well for me and drives consistent traffic to the resources on my website, whether that's a blog post that has an opt-in attached to it, or it's an opt-in landing page itself. Each of these resources that's receiving traffic includes an offer to join my membership program and thus helps to build my audience. Right. So Pinterest, you mentioned, is that just one of the social networks that you're using or is that the main one that's working for you? That is a great question. And I will say that in general, I have not had much success with social media driving traffic to my business. Part of that is definitely because I haven't tried as much as I could have with other channels outside of Pinterest. But I find that other social media channels, and I'm not including Pinterest in that, but Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatnot, I'm really not able to spend the time on them that that would be required of me to be successful on those platforms. So I am on more of the elder side of millennial. And because of that, and I have to admit, I am not very good at being attached to my phone or documenting the parts of life that really make a compelling social media presence. So I have personally felt that the amount of time it takes to grow an authentic community on Instagram, for example is above and beyond what myself or many entrepreneurs are able to invest in the early stages of our businesses. So sure, if you have a dedicated social media manager on your team, or you have a team in general that's allowing you the time and creative energy to engage on social media, that's great. But realistically, many entrepreneurs just starting out are solopreneurs and have to make choices about how to invest our time. And you have to play to your strengths and what's most likely to get you the farthest. And for me, I'm a former blogger and writer. I don't spend a lot of time on social media in my personal life. So it just made sense for me to focus more on writing journalistic blog content than on sharing a bunch of personal Instagram stories. And Pinterest happens to be the best tool I have found for sharing that blog content in the social arena. Yeah, no, I think that's great. You know, I don't think anything to feel bad about there, especially about not being attached to your phone. That's probably makes you healthier (laughs) than most people. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people that that I've spoken to have definitely had success with Instagram, but there's also a lot of people that haven't. And you're right. It it takes a serious time commitment. Nothing. If you want to do something well, it's not going to be easy and it's not going to be quick. So is that the best use of your time? Is that something that gives you energy and that you enjoy doing it? These are all things to consider that 
just because other people have been successful with it, with Instagram, for example, doesn't mean that's what you should do or that that is the right thing to do. So I think that's, that's a good point that you're making. Let's shift a little bit. So let's go to more of our deeper question here as far as, you know, what would you say is the most effective membership strategy that you think listeners could learn from that either you know of or that you've read about or that you've, you've done in the past? Mm-hmm. Well, like you just mentioned with social media, um, there is a little bit of variation based on the business owner themselves and what their strengths are and uh, what their business entails. Different things might work best for different circumstances. But what has worked really well for me in building membership businesses is giving my audience plenty of opportunities to join my membership program across many different parts of my website. So if I just had one sales page for any given resource that I'm promoting, I'd only reach people who I could funnel into that one page. So putting sign-up opportunities throughout my entire site has been really helpful. In my case, because my membership program is an archive of wellness guides and resources, I promote them and link to them on each of my blog posts as a free content upgrade. So if someone is interested in my blog post on, let's say, improving their indoor air quality, they may be interested in my guide on healthy cleaning supplies that don't pollute your indoor air quality. Or if they're reading an article on weekday meal planning, I'll include a little promo offer for the free meal planning worksheet. So of course, these little subscription opportunities throughout the site might be more doable with a small or free resource than they would be with a larger, more complex paid resource that really needs more sales copy to describe it fully. But I think the same principles apply regardless of how your membership program is structured. If you're offering a valuable resource that your audience finds useful and truly wants, I think the more simple you can keep your signup process, the better. I know a lot of entrepreneurs, myself included sometimes, can fall into this more is more way of thinking, but we can actually go so much further with a less is more mentality. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen an enrollment button that is hidden under eight paragraphs of sales copy. And that sales copy can be truly great, but being good does not mean that it's needed. And often you just need to give people an opportunity to easily find and click through to what they want. Yeah. I think there's a lot to unpack there as far as, you know, one, the way I'd summarize it is multiple calls to action throughout the website, throughout the pages. Mm -hmm. Um, And also kind of like the cross-linking of repurposing content that you've already created, even if it's free, you know, that that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Because if it's a free piece of content that leads to someone joining your email list, that's still worth something because that's someone who could potentially buy your paid membership offering in the future. So it's still worth something. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a good idea to think about how you can recycle your content, if you will. So it's like you make something once and assuming it's good and you put effort into it and actually is helping people, you know, just because you launched it once and tweeted about it or put it on Pinterest, uh, that doesn't mean, okay, that it's gone now and we never have to talk about it again or we should never mention it again. Like that's something that is an asset now that lives on your website. And you're right. You should figure Mm -hmm. out ways to surface that for people because, you know, you never know when someone's coming to you. They might have just heard of you yesterday, so they don't even know you wrote that unless it's referenced in a future piece of content. Right. Exactly. And I also try to think of my blog posts as being smaller, quicker, more easily digestible bits of my larger resources. So someone can land on a blog post and get an introduction to a topic that then they're offered a more complete resource if they're interested in it. So, so when you say a more complete resource, what do you, what do you mean exactly? 
So for example, the membership protected resources that I have in the wellness library, they cover a range of topics that might take up five or six different blog posts. So I have a healthy home guide that multiple different blog posts on my website are all linking to and promoting because they're each little pieces of the healthy home guide. So a little piece on air quality or unhealthy cookware uh, for your kitchen or unhealthy cleaning supplies. They are all ultimately driving people to uh, this full resource where they can get much more detailed information on any of those topics. But the blog posts present this really broad, very complicated topic in a much more brief and more easy to access way. Yeah, that's another smart point. You know, not everyone's busy, right? Everyone's got a million things going on, a million things we're thinking about to make your content as digestible as possible and give people the opportunity to go deeper when they want to is smart. But maybe having like a condensed or summarized version in the beginning is probably a good idea. So that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. So yeah, in kind of in closing here, are there any membership resources that you'd recommend to people listening? And by resources, I mean, you know, other blogs, maybe podcasts you've listened to, books you've read, courses you've taken or that you know about that specifically would help people trying to build membership businesses. Mm -hmm. I can't think of something that's membership specific, but what I will say that has really helped me in building a membership-based business is a Pinterest course that I took. And I mentioned earlier how I use that in my content marketing, but I originally was not using Pinterest for my business. I saw no reason to. Then I happened upon a webinar about using Pinterest. I took Jenna Kutcher's course, but I know Melissa Griffin also has a good one. And I would just recommend one of these courses to anyone who is not currently using Pinterest in their business. Like I said, I was not on the bandwagon at first. I told you how I felt about social media. So I was not really rushing to get involved with another platform. But now 85 to 90% of my website traffic comes from Pinterest. So that has been huge for me. It was a huge resource and definitely worth my investment in taking a Pinterest course. Fantastic. Great. And uh, how do people get in touch with you if they want to learn more about you or your businesses? Yes, uh, I am online. My wellness company is forwellness.co and my web design company is fivedesign.co and the numbers are spelled out in each of those. Great. All right, Melissa. Well, thanks for taking some time to talk with us. Of course. Thank you, Ward. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. There's a direct link in the show notes. We really appreciate it. Member Maker is brought to you by MemberSpace. MemberSpace makes it easy to run a membership business by plugging into your existing website so you can protect any page content you choose. Your members can also sign up and manage their account without ever leaving your site. Learn more and start a free trial at memberspace.com.